Well, this is my um, last chance to get to speak to you. I was, uh, um, I guess I was a little uh, confused about that. So I'm going to try to put about three things in one today, so I hope you'll be patient with me. Um, I, I'm going to want you to turn your Bibles. Now, it'll be a while before we get back to it. You know I never do that unless it's something unusual. And so, since it's my last day here, I figure I can do what I want to. The last only thing you can do is fire me. And so, I'm in good shape. So, if you'll notice in the scripture in Acts chapter number 9, do you have it? Acts chapter number 9, I want you to look at verse number 23. Now, the Apostle Paul had had a tremendous conversion experience on the road to Damascus. And the Bible writes to us this, and after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. They didn't like him because verse 22 said he proved this was Christ. He didn't mess around with it. He proved this was Christ. Can you do that? There's not many can do that. He proved this was Christ. Well, they didn't like that, made them look bad. And their laying awake was known as Saul, verse 24. And they watched the gates day and night to kill him. And the disciples took him by night, led him down by the wall in the basket. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples. But they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. Now, listen to this. Here's a guy trying to join the church, and they won't let him. We got a whole bunch of them. We're just trying to get them to come because they already joined the church and they don't want to. Isn't that amazing? And so Paul, here, Barnabas, the encourager, the comforter, he took him, brought him to the apostles, declared to them how he had seen the Lord in the way. If that had been a Baptist, he'd already walked off and left and said, I'm going to some other church where they like me better than this. They would have. Keep the feelings on the shoulder all the time. Listen, your new pastor comes. How about getting your feelings off your shoulders, put them in your pocket, take them home, and flush them down the toilet? Now, that may not, that may not fit everybody, but it probably fits a few. And so he spake boldly, verse 29, in the name of Lord Jesus, and disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to slay him. They were determined to kill him. Which when the brethren knew, the believers, the folks had been saved, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. And Caesarea is on the Mediterranean Sea. Tarsus would be going north into what is now Syria and up into that area. And so that's where he is going, uh, the scripture says. And the Bible said in verse 31, it was then after they had gotten rid of Paul, then had the churches rest throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. In other words, the main ministry where Jesus was, the main ministry where Jesus was, and were edified, walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Ghost, and were multiplied. And today I want to talk about I'm a basket case. Is right with you? I'm a basket case. And before I, 
and I, I want to give you my four points in case I don't get back to them, all right? Number one, Paul was the brilliant scholar. If you want to be a good basket case, you've got to be a brilliant scholar. I determined a long time ago, I didn't like what I was learning in school, and so, in fact, I wasn't learning anything. I'd already self-taught myself everything I was learning in school, and so I quit school and started, and I didn't always make the right choices there, but I quit school and, and decided to go out, and I'd just educate myself, and I made a commitment to myself that nobody was going to outthink me. I just decided that. You need to decide that there's not a person in this world that's lost that can outthink you or a backslider that can outthink you. Write that down, all right? You say, well, 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 well I'm going to tell you after a while how to, how to do that, okay? You can't just say, think, 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 think. That don't work. Meditation don't work, but I'm going to tell you how. Number two, if you want to be a basket case, you will become Paul the hated speaker. Paul, the hated speaker. Number three, if you want to be a basket case, you'll become Paul, the beloved saint. And if you want to be a basket case, you'll be Paul, the fruitful sower. Those are the four things that made Paul a basket case. I'd like to see a church full of basket cases. But you can't have a church full of basket cases because somebody's got to be there to lower down the basket. And so we'll talk about that in just a moment. Before we do, you know, I'd just like to say a few. This was my last week of work, supposedly. I always allow our staff uh, this, this week off, and, you know, it depends on how Christmas and New Year's falls. And so they get about six days, five or six days off. And, and so I just this week I worked harder than I've worked in the last three months. Because nobody else was doing a blessed thing. I had a few deacons helping and working, and, and I thank God for the deacons that helped me, but nobody was doing nothing. And so I began to think about that. I think we ought to add up every one of their salaries and put my name on their check. <laughs> you say, why? Well, here's Brother Nick. I love Brother Nick. I mean, he, 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 listen, he don't ever know how much he's blessed me. I love Brother Nick. In fact, one of his best musicians told me the other day that he never leaves church and hadn't learned something from Brother Nick. I thank God for that, but he got a new piano for Christmas, and he hadn't got up off the stool except this morning. He built him a trailer, and his wife has to pull him along while he keeps playing that piano all the time. And then there was Tammy, you know, she is kind of, uh, she's our financial secretary, and I just happened to come in one day, and everything was dark except one light, and it was in, in, in the financial office, and I thought, you know, so I pulled my gun out, and I walked in there, and and I thought I'll check this thing out. And there was Tammy. Tammy was writing checks. I never seen such a pile of checks, and they all had Colby's name on them. <laughs> so I thought, you know, and I said, Well, Miss Tammy, what are you doing? She said, I'm getting in the Christmas spirit. 
Well, then Gary's supposed to watch out for those things, not me. And so Gary, he, he is. I mean, he, he, he's one of these guys. I mean, he watches it down to the, uh, uh, to the very penny. And in fact, if we had less than a penny, he would watch it down to that. I mean, he's our trusted treasure. And yet Gary got a new computer for Christmas and he hadn't seen Jan's face in five days. Five days. And then Travis, he got a new Lego set. <laughs> and a tape of the Happy Goodmans, and he's been happier all I've ever seen. <laughs> and then Libby. Now, this is, this is what really ticks me off. Libby don't show up. And listen to her excuse. She had the flu. <laughs> what kind of excuse is that? The flu. <laughs> And Livy doesn't show up. And then there's Reba. I mean, she um, bought a rubber parent and child. And she came to my house and said, don't you have a 357? I said, yeah. She said, can I borrow it? Yeah. She took that rubber parent and child, put it up against a tree, and emptied my 357 on it. Said, obviously, we've had some trouble in nursery. <laughs> or maybe her husband, she's practicing, I don't know. But And then Rachel, I mean, you know, she's, I come in, catch her, she's got nooses around all the kids' neck, ready to kick the chairs out from under them. I said, what in the world are you doing? And she said, I got a rope kit for Christmas. <laughs> I don't believe that, that and then Chris. You know what he did? His kids has not seen their toys yet because he took them away from them and has been playing with them himself ever since. <laughs> and Brother Mike, bless his heart, I love him, but his family hid his presence from him. He's been hunting all over the house for his presence. And they keep lying to him saying, you just didn't get nothing. That's the problem. So they just hid from you. They're there, Brother Mike. I'll help you hunt them up. And then Jessica, she took my CDs, took them home, told Adam that those are new kind of skeets that you shoot now. And then did a happy dance right in front of my door, knowing I'd never be back again. And then Sherry, she hadn't answered the phone in two weeks. Because she's been so consumed with her grandchild that Marty took her to a bluegrass festival and she didn't even know she went. <laughs> and then there's Kim. She kind of came in incognito to the church and um, I noticed that, that she, she was making some motions like that right there. And so she was throwing darts at people as they come in the door. And I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm tired of them spinning Coca-Colas all over our seats. <laughs> Better watch Kim. Dangerous. And there's Miss Carolyn. Bless her heart. She's been here a long time. And she is standing right up at the top of the steps. And for two hours, she stood there just like this. Because the, the church was so dirty. And she said, I can't stand it. Eugene said, well, we, we, we've got to go over here. 
I'm going to shake my head another hour before we leave. And that's what she did. So when I got through with all that, I got to thinking, well, just add all that up, put it on my check. Because they, they, they hadn't done anything this week. Now, I'm kidding about all that. But uh, 28 and a half years ago, we rolled into here in a potato truck. That's what we came here in. We uh, had a little car. You had to flip a switch on it to get the fan to work. Uh, it was not, in fact, the Deacons called it a lawnmower with an engine on it and a seat in it. And so that's how bad our car was. In fact, it got so bad that the deacon said, what's it going to take to get you to get another car? And I said, a raise. <laughs> that had been four years. And so the fourth year I got a raise. So the office at that time was in the library, but not all the library, just about a third of the library was my office. That's where I got my first interview because in our neighborhood then, right where you are, was lines of trees and, and a swamp down below us and there was no, uh, it, it was a good place to hide so they'd come up, steal stuff, get in that ditch and run down that ditch all the way down through the projects and dispense wherever they wanted to. And so one night they stole my air conditioner right out of my window, ripped it right out of my window. They got some other things. They hit about nine churches that night. And for the first time I've been on television, they interviewed me. I got my first interview. They even messed it up. <laughs> Didn't get it right. And so I learned, I should have learned then, and interviews are never right. So we nearly, after, I don't know, after the pulpit committee had deliberated for several months, we come to agreement and I was satisfied it was God's will and they were satisfied it was God's will and so on August the 20th we showed up at church on a, on a Sunday night I had preached at the church to where I left from that morning we drove up here we were supposed to start it the next Sunday but we got up here that Sunday night the preacher was sick or it was brother Alan Bueller or he couldn't be here for some reason and so I started preaching that night on August the 20th. That was my first sermon on a Sunday night with about 25 people here. And that's the way it was. And so, you know, I thought the pulpit committee, they really loved me. But one of the pulpit committee backed me in the corner and tried to whip me about four months after I'd been here. Now, he couldn't whip me. He just thought he could. And he backed me in the corner. Because that I had come in and saw some things happening that don't happen where I pastor. And that was that we had Sunday school teachers showing up uh, about 15 minutes before the class was over. Or being 20 and 30 minutes late for the class. And I said, we don't do that here. And of course, they all got ticked off. And so... Uh, the department head goes and tells her dad, next thing I know, he thinks everybody's gone but me. And he comes in here to catch me. But he didn't know that the counters of the money was still here. And they said it sounded like two bulls in my office going at it. But I walked out of that day a victor. For about six weeks, they sat on each corner on the old building right there to intimidate me. 
And finally, one Sunday, one of the children that they brought with them got saved. That stopped that. Stopped that. I wasn't going to put up with unfaithfulness in our children. Our children need our best. And this year, if you can't give them the best, back out now. Let somebody who can or wants to, has the heart in it. So, then that we had music problems. I remember one night, pianist got mad at the song leader because the song leader was her husband. Well, on Sundays, they stayed here all day because they live in a different town, and we go to go have church that night. We got no pianist. I said, where's the pianist? She ain't coming. She's mad. I said, no, she's coming. So I went back there where she was. I said, you get up, and you get out there, and you get on that stool. And I said, I'll meet with you this week, and we'll straighten this mess out. So she went out there and played, and she was pouting and puffed up, and I'm sure it sounded like it was horrendous, I'm sure, that night. But we had a problem, and we eventually got that settled after several months. And then God sent Jeanette and Wendell Hall to us, and Brother Wendell started leading our singing. Miss Jeanette started playing our piano. And our music started to get better. And we had a few more people join the choir. In fact, it come to the place to where we had to extend the choir. We had to go from the doors to the door. When you come in the door, you bumped into the choir almost to where we could get, because we only had enough room for about two rows. So we had two or three long, no, we took the front wall out where I could back up. I was preaching a little area just about like this. So they built me a block out like that right there and put the pulpit on so I'd have enough room to preach. God was just blessing us. Folks is getting saved. And so, then all of a sudden, I noticed that the, the van, we had, a, <laughs> we had an old van that had four mud grip tires on it. No carpet. Going down the road, it'd absolutely kill you because that's how broke we was. Didn't have any money. But I noticed I kept smelling something in there. I said, some have been smoking. Come to find out, teenagers go on a trip, they just all smoke. So I get me a great big sign and I put in that van, no smoking in the van. If not, you will answer the pastor. So we kind of got that little settled. Then I found out that youth was being taught some things that we don't believe. Like that drinking alcohol was okay. Oh, that don't go well with this preacher. And so we had to get that worked out and a few dirty words worked out. And so we finally did. And then I come in one day and the secretary's son, which was pretty huge, was laying right in the floor. Now, our office here was up there where, the, where Reba's office is, except it was a, a, a little bitty then, it was before it knocked the walls out. I mean, it was about the size of two closets. And he was laying in the floor, and I walked in the door, had to step over him. I said, what's he doing? Well, he's sick. I said, he ain't going to be sick here. He's going to be sick somewhere else. You see, that's why I get named some things. It's because I did everything in my power to protect this church from stupidity or from error 
or from bad leadership or whatever the case might I did everything. And so when people didn't like what I did, then they would go out and say, well, he's little Hitler. He rules with an iron hand. If I rule with an iron hand, I'd done knocked about 300 down the road. That, that's not the case. I just was trying to do what Paul commanded the pastor in Acts chapter 20 to do, and that's try to protect that church. And that's what I've tried to do. I haven't done a good job since I got sick, but I have tried since I've been here to protect Hillcrest Baptist Church. And as a result, for 20 years, we were known everywhere and still are in most places. So I had one, one day, uh, the other secretary came and she said, Brother Glenn, there's some people out on the back. I hear you look. Uh, 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 they look bad. I go out there, and there's a pile of them out there with paper sacks, and they were spraying paint and huffing paint. Well, most of them done passed out. So I opened my door, and wasn't no need for me to ask what this is doing. It's pretty obvious. I said, here's what y'all going to do. You're going to leave. Oh, man. Oh, no. So I said, no, you're going to leave. So I called the police station, and I said, I'm going to stand here and watch them. We ain't one of them leaving until you get here, and I want you to take everyone of them to jail, and when they sober up, you tell them where they came from and who called them. So they did, and we didn't have no more paint huffers, but we did have some drug dealers, and they were dealing drugs. We had four doors on our old worship center, and right as you come out of what we call the East Center now, or uh, they, there was a back step come down and it had a brick, brick uh, wall around about a half of it. Well, they found out that they could get him behind that brick wall and nobody could see him from the road, nobody could see him from the side, nobody, nobody ever went around back, so nobody could see him. And so they were smoking pot and they were selling drugs. And so I went out there one day like stupid Glenn, no gun, no knife, no nothing. And, and they were, I, I thought they were just kids. I got out there, they're like 25. I said, what are y'all doing? No, man, we ain't hanging around. I said, you ain't going to hang around here. Get out of here. Boy, they lit into cussing me, and I started saying, God, I'm dead. I know it. I, I, I know I'm going to die right here today. I want to make sure everything's right. So I prayed real quick. And they left, still cussing me down the road. They called me everything and some names I didn't even know how to pronounce that they called me. But we stopped that. And we didn't mow the church yard except right around the church. The rest of it, we only had about four acres. And, and, and the rest of it, I think we could park about 40 cars or something like that on that side. And then right, right about here, we, we could park. Well, right there where the elevator is, we could park about 20 more. No, so... They were cutting just right where we parked and letting the rest of it just grow up fescue and top out. And all of a sudden, every now and then, about twice a year, three times a year, somebody would cut it, roll it for hay, and take it off. I said, now, something don't look right about this. 
Come to find out, there was a person in the church who got really angry at me because I said, we're going to cut all the churchyard. We're going to make this place look like something. I don't care who we have to hire or what we have to do or if I have to do it myself, we're going to cut this yard. That's, that's what I feed my horses. Well, you can feed them out of something else because this is going to be God's house and it's going to look like God's house. It's not going to look like a fescue field. So we started cutting the yard, started looking nicer. People started seeing our church. They started saying, they didn't notice it. It was just kind of hid up here. We had a sign out front made out of white brick and the other building made out of red brick. And it was down about that high. And every time somebody would come, they'd kick it and break the glass out of it. So finally we got together, raised enough money. Thank God we had good deacons. We've had good deacons ever since I've been here. We hadn't had bad deacons. I, I, I only maybe three or four times. Has there ever been any tension between our deacons? Now, I've had some that didn't do anything. I've had some that wasn't able to do anything. I've had some that did the best they could. And then I've had some who worked really hard. And I thank God for having a church for that, this long a time and having good deacons all the way through. I can only name three or four that we ever, ever had a problem with. And maybe some of the rest of you folks, there's not a lot of folks here that was in there, but you might can help me with some I don't remember. But I think I, I usually remember bad things happening in deacons meetings. And, and we didn't have problems in our deacons meetings. We went in our deacons meetings, we discussed things. Uh, there was decisions made, announced them, and the church was blessed because we were growing. Folks were getting saved. People were happy. If people are walking this aisle, folks will be happy. And so I tried to do the best I could to make things look good, but the building was just in disrepair. There was no ceilings in the children's department. There was no, uh, the doors had been welded. Uh, with no glass in the doors. So, man, you start to open the door and you'd knock somebody plumb cold and lay it around out in the floor. You couldn't see anybody coming out the door. And so, eventually, we began to try to get some things fixed. And so, I re remember that finally, uh, Karen went to work and, and I, I said, will you take this home do some work for me? And, and uh, she was a godsend because I had no help. Uh, or just volunteer help. And so she done some things for me, and then I asked her to do some more. And so she started to work three days, and then Sheila started to help us uh, three days. And so we started to be able to get some things done. And, and so uh, time passed, and God blessed. And then we, we bought that old house over there. It's not there now, but it used to be an old house that's right over there behind where the preschool or in front of where the preschool play area is. There was a house, and that's where our office was. But you had to walk in the weather to get to the office. So if I wanted to lead somebody to Christ, and they was hot under conviction, they'd already cooled off by the time they got over there. So we had to do something about that. So we started trying to fix that old place up. We did it ourselves. 
We, we didn't hire anybody. We did it ourselves. Some of our folks volunteered their time, some of our skilled people. And then we started to grow in our Sunday school, and, and, and Brother Todd was our Sunday school director. I believe there may have been one before him, and then Brother Todd came on. And we set goals. I set goals. I said, we're going to have 150 in Sunday school by this day, and we're going to have 100, 200 by this day, and we're going to have 250 by this day. And so we set goals, and we got to 199 and stalled out, stopped. Todd said, what are we going to do? I said, we're going to keep working. We can't get this. Look, we've tried everything. We can't get over 199 people to show up. Am I right, Todd? And so I don't know what happened, where God woke somebody up early or not, but finally one day we broke that barrier. And when we did, we took off again. Next thing I know, we're at 299. And we can't get by 299. And we worked and worked. Finally, God touched some hearts and we broke that barrier. And we made it past 200 and we got into the 300s and then we were bumping the 400s and we just didn't have anywhere to put people. We had them sitting under stairs and, and, and we had them sitting everywhere. We knocked out every wall we could. We did everything we could. So we said, we need a building. And that's when this building started to take place. We adopted a 48-week budget. It worked. We had spent the first two years in the red. And since that day, when we paid, when we got our books in the black, with the exception of this building and that building, and on this building, we had 200000 to put on it, and that building, we had 450000 to put on it already. And since the time that we balanced our books, we have never been in debt. We've paid cash. You paid cash. You started tithing, or we had other people joining you tithing. And God started helping us. And we started to be able to put anything over a certain amount that we didn't need that month, went into that that plan and next thing you know we had we, we was we, we was ready to build this building 1999 we was ready to build this building we were so happy and they dug a big hole out here and oh we were shouting the glory down went for long we had lost people for two years because they drive around the church there was nowhere to park nowhere to sit our deacons and our ushers all had to sit in the little bitty hallways because you couldn't get them in they were st stuck in the church just like that and so we got excited. They dug a hole, and all of a sudden, they quit. Nothing happened. I'd go around. I'd say to the foreman, what's going on here? I don't see nothing happening. Well, you know, we, we had a little labor problem. We're getting that fixed up. And I said, uh, no, something's not right. So I called Charlie. I said, I want you, I want you to be here at 7 o'clock in the morning. When they open up, we're going to be there at 6.30. I said, you be here. We're going to be there when they open up in the morning. And I don't, uh, you get one door and I'll get the other. They are not getting in that building unless we catch them. Come to find out, they had dropped us, left us, took, took $250,000 of our money, and walked away. That broke our people's hearts. So two years we began to work. No lawyer would take our case. It was bondage, so we had to try to work it out. And so the 
bonding firm definitely had a lawyer. In fact, if I name them, you know them. It's one of the most prominent law firms in one of those towers in Nashville. Nobody would take our case. They're scared of them. So they said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to be our lawyer. I know a whole lot about law. <laughs> you break it, you get shot. That's it. You know, it's... But I had, a, I had a briefcase. I had every payout. I had every draw. I had every invoice. I had everything that had ever been paid on that building. And we went there owing 1.55. That was what the, our building cost. That's what this building was originally supposed to cost in, in 1999. And so... One night, nine of us, eight deacons and myself, we marched in to whatever floor it was, the 97th floor, whatever building we was in, and we marched in. Every one of us had on a suit and tie. You'd think that the Memphis Mafia had showed up. I've got my briefcase in my hand, and this girl, this lady lawyer that we'd been having some mouth with, and she threatened to put me in jail and threatened to do this to me and threatened to do that. I said, I'm here. I'm the guy you've been talking to. She had on a dress that wouldn't wad that 357. <laughs> I'm serious. The men that went with us, they, they can testify. She come dancing out there, you know, dressed about right here. I had to turn my face and talk to her. <laughs> Next thing you know, we sat down at that table. And we had that sorry lawyer, I mean that lawyer with us. He wouldn't do anything. He'd come back and said, you know, this, this is what they say they'll do. I said, we ain't doing that. He said, well, this is what they said. I said, we're not doing that. They're not stealing our money. And so we argued there for a little while. They saw we wasn't going to give in. They saw we wasn't going to break. I didn't care if we had to stay to 4 o'clock next morning. They served breakfast up there. They got waffle houses. And so, sure enough, all us sitting around that table, deacons and myself and that lawyer, finally, that lawyer said, what are you going to do? I said, you tell them this. You tell them we get our original deal I don't care what it costs. I don't care how much higher it is. We get our original deal just like we signed on the bond to get. Or we're out of here and there's lawsuits coming. He come back in and said they agreed. So we went out there with our heads held high and their lips was on the floor. I've never felt any more victory because only God could have done that. They wasn't, they, we were just a bunch of hicks. They didn't care about us. God did that. God changed their mind. God scared their hearts. Don't you think God can't put fear in a lost person's heart? He can, and he did that night. And we won the victory. And so by 2001, we were walking into this building. And we'd been running about 400. I didn't know how many we'd have. I figured we'd have about 500, you know, because a few people would come to see. And sure enough, I, I, was, I, I can remember two names specifically while I've been pastor. The first one is Gary and Jan Landers because 
they came on the first Easter I was here. That's, that means I've been here about five or six months longer than they have. And um, I remember Jan was on the bab- baptism committee a little bit later on, and she fell in the baptistry, and I had to, I was watching her swimming around down there in her holes and stuff trying to get up out. I'll never forget that. But she didn't do it. She was trying to help another lady get out because they both was in the water together. But they've been here this whole time. They've never left. They've never thought it was bad around here. They've always thought it was good. I remember another second name, and that was Dennis Hankins. Dennis Hankins was the first person. I'm almost surprised. The first person we baptized here. And I was scared to come out here and look at the crowd because I was afraid there'd be one over here, one over here, one over here, one over here. And I stepped out and looked at this. We didn't have the balcony. We had the balcony, but we didn't have it pewed. But this bottom floor was absolutely filled. 750 people. From 400 one week to 750 the next. Only God does that. Only God does it. And so we did several things, something called Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames, to where we had the first time we did an old building, we had 100 people saved. They were lined up, hearts full pike to get in. The, the fire department said, you, you can't do this. And we did it anyway, but we wasn't supposed to. They just give us a little grace. And we got over here, and one of those, we had over 300 people saved. Did you know what? We didn't get a blurb in any paper. We didn't get so much as a remark in any paper. We didn't get a cameraman. But yet, they would go to the Methodist church and bless 22 dogs and cats, and it made front page. To me, 300 souls. It's better than 22 cats and dogs. But we kept going, and we built the preschool in. Down out there where Brother Nathan's Sunday School used to be, we did that ourselves. The education wing, uh, we, we built on over to the nursery. We did that ourselves. And I can do some things, and I know how to do some things. When it comes to carpentry, I'm no good. And so, but I'd always go to work. I mean, I'd go to help. I'd working with something I didn't mind. And I'd get there. When you get to carpenter work, they'd say, Preacher, have you got anything else to do? And so they basically were saying, Get lost, son. We don't need you. You're kind of carpenter, and that ain't the kind we do. So they would work. And we drawed prints and architects went through all that stuff and only God can do those things. We stepped out with Dennis I said I wasn't going to do this. I want to keep this as light as possible, but when Dennis went in those waters, I knew how many prayers had been up for him. I knew I loved him. And I'll never forget baptizing him that day. 
Now, he was about 100 pounds heavier then. Don't, don't get mad at me, Dennis. Where you at, Dennis? Back here somewhere? I'm lost. Oh, I lost. Okay. Are you upstairs? All right. He, he was a little heavier. So I didn't know exactly how I was going to handle that in a brand-new baptistry I hadn't used. But we baptized him before long, his brother with cancer who was dying. For long, or maybe his other brother Daryl before that, and then we just went through the family, and it was just Miss Ernestine kept us all straight after that. She just watched over us. And I thank God for those names I'll never forget. And since we've been here, we've baptized, I think, over 2,000 people. That wasn't my doings. That was when we'd have 36 show up for visitation. And they'd win souls to Jesus Amen. and bring them to church. And they'd come forward. All I did was baptize them. I didn't win them. So I'm glad we, got, we had faithful people. From the day we started... Till now. You say, well, yeah, the spirit changed a little bit. Yeah, 2016 changed a little bit. We had a little maybe infection you could call it, but the great physician has healed us. He was healing us then. He's always healing us. From the time we started serving God here anywhere else, we need the great healer because there's always somebody sick. Always something sick, a class sick, a choir sick, something sick. So, I just want to say this to you before I leave, before I quit. I want you to notice that in verse 31 about what I read, what happened after Paul left. You see, I've been here a long time and never, ever expected to do that. I've preached revivals, been all over the place, but I never really ever expected to stay here this long. To be honest, and I don't want to offend anybody, but I figured I'd be here four or five years and get kicked out. That was my normal thing. So... Look what happened. The basket case, Paul, caused all the churches in the area to which Jesus did most of his ministry. The Bible says they were edified. That means they started growing. They was learning the word. They was loving fellowship. They was loving preaching. They was loving teaching. Second, he's not there. Paul's not there. In fact, by him leaving... They're growing. Are y'all seeing this? Now look, look what else. Then he's glorified. Look, the, the, the Bible says the churches had rest throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and were edified, walking in the fear of the Lord. They're glorified. 
They're, they're walking in the fear of God. They're giving some glory to God for the way they live. They're giving glory to God for what he's done. When Paul left, it caused Jesus to be glorified. So sometimes leaving's good. And then thirdly, it caused them to be satisfied. Look, the Bible said the comfort of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is the one who comes and comforts us when we need comfort in any area. He made them happy. He made them satisfied. He made them content. And so when Paul became a basket case, they got satisfied. Because, you see, here's what was happening. Paul was so hard a preacher. He was so tough a preacher. He preached the gospel so hard, just like he did against it. He was doing it for it. And as a result, they were having trouble reaching people because Paul, they were afraid, would cause them to get killed or them to get hurt or their churches to close down. And so Paul said, best for me to move on. And so last thing, they were multiplied. Look, Paul left. (laughs) They started winning people to Christ. People started getting saved. Numbers started going up. You say, are you a numbers guy? Yeah, whole book in the Bible named Numbers. I'm far as God is. He told us how many got saved on Pentecost. He told us how many got saved in Acts chapter 4. He was concerned too. Because if there's 10,000 people here and only 8,000 people get saved, that means 2,000 people is going to hell and God loved them. So here's what I want to tell you to do, church. Listen to me. There's going to have to be sometimes some discipline take place. There's going to have to be some issues settled. Mom and Daddy, don't get mad and go home because your kid happened to get a little snot on him in the nursery. There's just parents has to be parents and talk to other parents and say, you know, next time I'll bring more wifeys with me, you know. When we was in the old building, I hadn't been here very long but Brother Larry, I think he, I think Brother Larry's here. He's been sick, I know. But Brother Larry, you are you here? Step back there. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't see him. I see it. Some sign on his head. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Here's what happened. There was there was Mandy and Danny. That was their children. And Angie and Sharon was my children. Well, we didn't have a whole lot of children here. And so after church, I saw them all with my wife sitting back there waiting on me. I knew that wasn't good. And so we sat right there with everybody gone, wasn't it, brother? There ain't nobody there but us. We worked that deal out, and it was worse than getting snot on you, okay? We worked that deal out, and to now, Mandy and Sharon and Angie are best friends. And they've all grown up to love Jesus. It's up to you parents to help your kids do what's right, not let your kids tell you what to do. 
So as your pulpit committee works, number one, I want you to wait on God. Don't push them. Number two, I want you to pray for wisdom. You say, what can I do? Pray for wisdom. James says do it. Number three, keep your gripes to yourself. These halls ought to be full of Jesus and Hillcrest and joy. Number four, be willing to do what you used to do, said you wouldn't do and can do, and don't let the preschool and children down because you used to do it. But now, well, they don't need me, but they do need you now. And so do what you said you'd never do. Right? Hadn't we all had to do that? Okay. Number five, please do not shoot that red light in my name. Or in the name of Jesus, especially. If you're going to do it, you go to jail, not me, okay? I've just taught you about it. Number six, I want you men to lead with spiritual wisdom, but also I want you to rely on the ladies for spiritual support, prayer, and eyes. They see some things sometimes. Number seven, my wife was set up nights. Never knew when I'd be home. She's heard me threatened on the phone to be killed more than once. She's heard me cursed. She's seen me working late on committees, but so did our committees work late too. She's seen me because I'd be off in South Alabama, Kentucky or somewhere preaching a revival, getting home at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning and waking her up, and she, she knows those things happen. She went to There's plenty of women that she has groomed and I believe they've bloomed. And so we took the same thing, the same the same principle I give you. We decided in our family when we got out of debt and we went to Bible college, I said, we will never be in debt again unless it is for a new home. And we've kept that. We have kept that. It makes it a whole lot better to come to church when you're not worrying about how the light bill is going to get paid. And then don't you trust your deacons. Don't interrogate them. Trust them. And please don't leave because they hadn't gotten the pastor just when you think they should because it's not near as easy as you think it is. It takes more than a preacher to be a pastor. It takes somebody that can manage and lead and operate and is, has character and courage to do what this church needs. So trust your deacons, trust your pulpit committee, don't interrogate them. And please don't leave because they haven't got one. 
Number one, they need your tithe. But number two, they need your help more than they ever have. You need to be here every week now. Now you need to be here every week and not take those 10 weeks that the school gives you and take eight weeks vacation and forget God and your kids forget God for two and three weeks at a time. Be faithful to your church. Be here every week. It's been our joy. It's been our honor. To serve here alongside all the good people that's at Hillcrest now, those who are in glory. Not everybody will take preaching like I do. But you never made me quit. Pat, you made Pat feel like Ivanka or whoever the first lady is. I can't spell all them names. What's her name? Alania. You made her feel like that. And this church, I'm telling you the truth, in the eyes of local politicians, in the eyes of state politicians, in the eyes of good, godly, evangelistic, soul-winning churches, in the eyes of conservative Bible churches, this church has been a legend. It has. Wouldn't it be great if it could be again? We move it up. I believe you can be all you want to be if it's what God wants you to be. And so, I just want you to, I want to thank Eugene for helping me do some yeah. thousand things. Amen. Amen. Um, I want to thank Eugene's daddy for jerking up a boy over in the old building and beating the devil out of him. <laughs> and his parents never said a word. <laughs> He said, preacher, I guess I got some folks run off, but I just couldn't put up with that no more. I said, go for it, Cecil, go for it. I've even seen fights at the altar. And then Jessica called me one day and she said, ah! I said, what's wrong? There's a snake in the office. We had snakes in the office. And I'm, I'm talking about the ones that crawl. But I'm going to tell this and I'm going to quit. We had a person work here on staff and a good while ago. Not here now. It's when we was in the old house. And those of you that's got squirrels, a lot of squirrels around your house, you know what they can do, right? So <laughs> he came running in my office and his eyeballs was as big as them, them plates right there. I don't know what's in the wall, but it's something big. It's something huge. I'm scared it's going to get me. I said, squirrels. And so I climbed up there, and I fixed that. That, that, that went down between the two befores, and they was going back and forth from the house. And, and so I fixed it. Maybe not legally, but I fixed it. And uh, 
I mean, we had everything. And I want to thank God for Brother Mike. He's been with me twice. Both times been loyal. I want to thank Jessica. She's been here 11, 12, maybe. I don't know. And she kind of came in on a horse when we needed somebody to really help us. I want to thank Sherry for being always kind and quiet. Sometimes she probably ought to get louder, especially with Marty, but she don't. I want to thank Chris. He's helped me this year. And Kim and Tammy and Reba and Rachel. And I, don't, I don't mean to leave out anybody, but all of our loyal and committed staff. You may work here and feel nameless, or you may go to this church and feel nameless, but if you live for God and be blameless, one of these days you can stand before God shameless.